the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today as we continue our study in the book of 1 Samuel, David gets his family out of Saul's reach and Saul thinks everyone is out to get him. We'll pick it up in 1 Samuel chapter 22 verse 1. The title of the message is A Fixed Heart. All right, 1 Samuel 22, 1 Samuel 22. Well, we saw last that David got himself into some trouble by trying to take care of his problems his own way. And after David leaves Gath at the end of chapter 21, he decides to trust in the fact that God is for him uh, when he's afraid. Instead of letting fear rule his heart, he decides to put guards on his heart from that fear by resting in what God's word says. And thus, instead of all these deceptive plans to preserve his life, David starts letting the Lord be in charge again. So chapter 22, verse 1. David therefore departed from there, and he escaped to the cave Adullam. And when his brothers and all of his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him. And everyone that was in distress, and everyone that was in debt, and everyone that was discontented gathered themselves unto him. And he became a captain over them, and there were with him about 400 men. So David, it says here, therefore, the therefore is because the king of Gath rejected him as a Israeli defector. He said, what what use do I have for a, a madman in my house? So David, therefore, because of that, departs from Gath and escaped to the cave Adullam. He is escaping because he's back in Judah now, which isn't safe either. He is a fugitive in Israel. And so he escapes to the cave Adullam. Adullam was a a royal Canaanite city that Joshua conquered when Israel took the promised land. It's about seven miles southeast of Gath, but 20 miles away from Saul's palace. So it's definitely a good distance away from him. And it mentions here, it just says, there's a colon here, which means a pause. And and the reason it pauses here is because David was alone for a while. Eventually, his family is going to come down with him. Obviously, these other 400 men come to be with him. But prior to that, he is alone with the Lord for a while in this cave. And during that time, David composes two Psalms, Psalm 57 and Psalm 142. And so I want to read a couple of verses because it will give us his mindset, and how everything is so radically different here when we see him start interacting with his problems again. But in Psalm 57, verses 1 and 2, 
It says to the chief musician, Altashith, a mictum of David when he fled from Saul in the cave. The Altashith means it's set to a certain song. So David wrote a song, but he wrote words, but he set it to a, a song that was already in existence. And the song that's already in existence was called Do Not Destroy. I don't know who wrote that song, but David sets it to the Lord, you know, please don't destroy me. I've really messed up. And he starts the, the song by saying, be merciful unto me, O God, be merciful unto me. He realizes what he has done, and he is crying out to the Lord for mercy. Now, doesn't that sound like a different David than we saw last week? Radically different than the one we saw last week. Now he is trusting in God's grace and mercy instead of his own plans. He says, why am I asking you to be merciful? For my soul trusts in you. Yea, in the shadow of your wings will I make your refuge until these calamities be overpassed. I will cry unto God most high, unto God that performs all things for me. See, now David is standing on God's word again. What does he say? Till all these things be overpassed. Why does David know he's going to get past these things? Well, because God promised him he'd be king, right? He's resting in God's word again instead of his own fears. And also, I love how he says here, I will cry unto God most high, unto God that performs all things for me. In other words, this is not something that happened out of the control of God. God is allowing this into my life for a purpose. And he is using this, he is doing things through this challenge. This is the same exact mentality that Paul took and his encouragement to us when we're going through difficult times. In Romans chapter 8, 28, it says, but we know that what? All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purposes, right? Well, what all things is he referring to there? For example, in verse 31 of Romans chapter 8, he says, what shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? What are these things? What are the all things that God is working in our lives still? Romans 8.35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. So when we read that verse and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose, it's persecution, tribulation, distress, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword. God is working all those things together for our good. And they cannot separate us from the love of Christ. If God is for us, these things can't be against us. And so, where before David's heart had been filled with fear, now he says in Psalm 57, verse 7, My heart is fixed, O God. My heart is fixed. The New King James says steadfast. But I love this idea of fixed. Because fixed means it is settled. It is now secured. It wasn't settled, but now it is. It wasn't, like steadfast says something's you know, firm and solid and resolute. Like it's, it's always been there. But fixed means, no, no, it was broken before. Now it's fixed. It wasn't settled, but now it is. It wasn't secure, but now it is. It wasn't prepared to face these challenges, but now it is. And how did David get there? Well, that's what the other psalm he wrote tells us, Psalm 142. Psalm 142, also composed in this cave, 
In verses 1 and 2, David says, I cried unto the Lord with my voice. With my voice unto the Lord did I make supplication. I poured out my complaint before him. I showed before him my trouble. See, this is where David had gotten in trouble in the beginning. When all this came down and Jonathan revealed to him, yeah, my dad wants to kill you. You got to go, man. You got to get out of here. But you're going to go in peace because the Lord's going to take care of you. And David, the Bible says, as they wept together because they're going to be parted, it says David carried on. He exceeded. He was absolutely overwhelmed. He never brought that to the Lord. He went and took that fear-ruled heart and he started to act on it instead of bringing it to the Lord and going, Lord, what am I going to do? Lord, this is, this is bad. He does that when he finally gets to the cave. He, I should say when he, fi- when he gets to the cave, he finally does that. In verses 5 and 7 of Psalm 142, he says, I cried unto, the Lord, unto thee, O Lord, I said, you are my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. Attend unto my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. David finally admits that he's not strong enough to do this his way. That the Lord is the only way he's going to survive. And then in verse 7, he closes with resting on God's promises that he is going to make it through this. Bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise your name. The righteous shall surround me, for you shall deal bountifully with me. That's a different David, isn't it? I love that. And so... If you're experiencing any of those things that are in Romans 8.35, I mean, most of us are not usually experiencing nakedness, peril, or, you know, the sword of things like that, but maybe you're experiencing distress. Maybe you're experiencing trouble or even persecution. If you're experiencing any of those things, know that God loves you and that you are more than a conqueror through Christ who gave himself for you. Amen? You are more than a conqueror. You will be victorious because of God's love for you. So cry out to him. Rest in the promises of his word. Because that's what will prepare your heart to face the challenges that are in front of you. Now, while David is in the cave fixing his heart, word of where he is reaches his family. For it says, and when his brethren and all of his father's house heard it, they went down thither to to him. Now, they had likely already fled their home when Saul's accusation against David became public. Remember at the feast where he threw a spear at his own son, saying that, you know, David was conspiring against the throne? Well, when word, as soon as word reached them about that, they, they probably would have fled their home because if Saul thought David wanted the throne, he would not stop until David's entire family was wiped out. Which brings up an interesting thought that David could not have known in the midst of his troubles. God had planned that David would be in the line of the Messiah, right? God knew all this, that Jesus was going to come from the line of David. If Saul wipes David and his family out, there's no longer a messianic line. It's gone. And God will never let that happen, right? And see, here's the crazy thing. I'm not in the messianic line, okay? I'm nowhere near that important. But... As a child of God, you and I are part of God's larger plan. Try to remember that in the midst of your trials, even if you don't know what the larger plan is. David had no clue what that larger plan was for his family. No clue yet. He doesn't get the promise that the Messiah will come from his line until after he's king. So he has no clue about that. But 
recognize that even though you may not know what God's larger plan is and what your place is in that, that God has one. And therefore, God will not allow his plans to be stopped, even if you're facing something that looks like it's over for you. Now, what's interesting here is that David's family isn't the only one who comes to stay with David. Look at verse 2. And everyone that was in distress, the phrase everyone here actually means and all the men that were in distress and men that were in debt and men that were discontented, they gathered themselves unto him, unto David. Uh, Men who were in distress, it just means a state of trouble, affliction, suffering, persecution. It appears that David was not the only person who'd been wronged by Saul's mania, you know, his suspicious character. Apparently others had suffered at the hands of Saul as well. It also mentions here everyone that was in debt. Yeah, that's usually a troubled place. And everyone that was discontented. The word here means bitter of soul. It means mentally distressed. And they all gather themselves together into David. David didn't summon these folks. David didn't go and put letters out saying, listen, Saul's trying to kill me. I need to put together an army to protect myself. Anybody else bitter at Saul? Come on down to 5413 Adullam Cave. And... I'll take care of you. No, David didn't, he didn't ask for any of these things. This just happened. Now, if you're going to start a rebellion against Saul, these are the men to do it with. I mean, these are the guys who have, they got nothing left to lose. They're in debt, so it's not like their finances are doing well. They got nothing to lose. And yet, God draws these 400 men to a man who isn't interested in revenge, to a leader whose heart is fixed now on listening to the Lord. And so it says that David became a captain over them, and there were with him about 400 men. You know, it's interesting. David may be their captain, but he never, ever, ever leads these men against Saul. David will have a few other moments where he's not where he's supposed to be. One of the other moments where he, when he's where he's not supposed to be is when he goes with the Philistines and joins their army. And they don't usually let him fight against Israel because, well, he's an Israeli and they don't trust him. And David finally gets to a place where he is just so hopeless that he thinks there's no way I'll get back to Israel. And so he comes to the king of the Philistines and he says to him, listen, man, I'll go to war with you. And he goes, you know, you've been tr- I can trust you. There's no reason I can't trust you. You come with me. When he gets to the staging area for the battle, all the other Philistine lords say, uh-uh, this guy's not coming with us. He'll turn on us when we fight Saul. So even then, I don't think David did it out of vengeance. I think David, you know, and he never ended up fighting Saul. He never led these men against Saul. Uh, but even then, I think it wasn't so much he was angry. It's just he didn't know what else to do. And that, of course, doesn't end well because, well, you have to stick around for First Samuel to find out. But back to here. David and these men that he leads, they start off as a band of men just seeking to survive. And what they become, though, is what David had always been. What he'd always done with men under his care. They became defenders of the nation of Israel against their enemies. David never raises his hand against Saul. Now, if 400 men could figure out where David was, then so could Saul. And so David decides to put some distance between his family and the king. Verse 3, And David went from there to Mizpah of Moab, and he said unto the king of Moab, Let my father and my mother, I pray you, come forth and be with you till I know what God will do for me. 
And he brought them before the king of Moab, and they dwelt with him all the while that David was in the hold. And the prophet Gad said unto David, Do not abide in the hold, depart, and get you into the land of Judah. Well, then David departed and came into the forest of Herath. So David and his men, his 400 men with his family, they flee to Moab, the country of Moab. Uh, Mizpah is about 50 miles southeast of Adullam on the other side of the Dead Sea. So this is nowhere in Saul's area of control. And why does David go to Moab with his family? Well, remember, David's got Moabite blood in him. Ruth was a Moabite. So David had family ties in that nation. Saul had defeated Moab years earlier in his rampage to secure his kingdom after God told him that he was rejected as king. But they weren't at war at this point in time. So it's possible David thought this was the safest place for his family and for his men. And and some might say, well, isn't this the same problem as when David fled to Gath? He left Israel to go to the land of the Philistines? No, no, no. This is not the same at all, because notice the different way that David handles this one. There's no deception in any way, shape, or form. In fact, David is painfully honest with the king. It says, he, he said, um, let my father and mother, I pray you, come forth and be with you till I know what God will do for me. In other words, David doesn't make the king of Moab any promises, and he doesn't pretend to have a plan. He says, I don't know what the Lord's going to do with me. He makes it clear that he's trusting God for the next step, but he doesn't know what that next step is. Thankfully, it comes in verse 5. And the prophet Gad said unto David, Abide not in the hold. Now, this is our first meeting with the the prophet named Gad. We are not told much about him. He just kind of pops in and out of David's life from time to time. Uh, He is a frequent advisor to David. It is possible that Gad was a part of Samuel's school of prophets. Uh, Samuel is quite old at this point uh, and cannot make the journey to Moab, the long trip there. So it's possible that's why God sends Gad, and that's how him and David form this relationship. I don't know. But his message is clear. You cannot sit down here. David, you're not meant to sit down right now. That's what the word abide means. We're going to see it numerous times in this chapter. You are not to sit down. You cannot sit down. So depart from here. You must leave and get yourself into the land of Judah. And the word there for hold means the fortress. So they were staying there in the walled city where the king of Moab lived. And basically, God is telling them, God's plan isn't for you to do nothing in a fortress, David, to sit back and just wait. You're an Israeli soldier. Go back to your homeland and fulfill your duties. And David obeys. He obeys. Again, how very different from chapter 1. Instead of running from danger with no direction, like David did before, David now follows God's leading into danger. What a difference it makes when your heart is fixed, right? Now, we're not quite sure where the forest of Hereth is. Most believe it's about two miles north of the city of Ziph, which is in central Judah, just west of the Dead Sea. It's pretty far south of Saul's palace, but of course, Israel is not a large land. And so David's news of David's doings, they finally do reach Saul in verse 6. Dun, dun, dun. Verse 6. And when Saul heard that David was discovered, and the men that were with him, and then we have a little side here, now Saul abode in Gibeah under a tree in Ramah, having a spear in his hand, and all his servants were standing about him. Then Saul said unto those servants, these men that were around him, Here now, you Benjamites, will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards and make you all captains of thousands and captains of hundreds, that all of you have conspired against me? 
And there is none that shows me that my son has made a league with the son of Jesse. And there is none of you that is sorry for me or shows unto me that my son is. And then, you know, he's just babbling now. I mean, he goes here, he says, none of you shows unto me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as it is this day. Now, I don't know about you, but when Saul's holding spears, I usually get a little worried. So his men are all around him, and he's just going off. Why have you all betrayed me? You know, yeah, why didn't any of you tell me that my son made a covenant with David? Why, why are none of you feeling sorry for me, concerned about me and all my troubles? And, and how come all of you haven't warned me about the ambush that's happening today from David? Man has lost his mind. Back up in verse 6. When Saul heard that David was discovered, when Saul heard that others knew this information before he did, others knew where David was before he did. We will get to Saul's reaction in a moment, but first we need to establish where he's at. For it mentions that he's abode. Again, that word sit down. He's just brooding. He is brooding under a tree. The tree is a tamarisk tree. They have them in Israel. There's these large shady trees, very common resting places in Israel because you want to get shade over there. Uh, I just talked to someone the other day who was there the year before COVID during summer. And they always say, don't go over there in summer. It's just, it's too hot. And so they didn't have AC back then. So they hung out under these trees for coolness and for shade. And it mentions it's in Ramah. That's the same word as Samuel's hometown, but it's written slightly differently in the Hebrew here. And so this way, it just means it's a, a big, huge hill. So he's up on this hill. He's got his spear in his hand. And remember, Saul's constantly suspicious. He always saw threats around him. And I love what David Guzik said. He said, when Saul had a spear in his hand, it usually meant he was going to try to hurt somebody. And so this is not a, a happy meeting, Okay. He has called his official staff, all of his captains, all of his important VIPs in the government, and he's called them, and he's got a spear out, which means somebody's going to get hurt. He's not happy. He says, I know where David is, and how come none of you told me? And Saul said to his servants that stood about him, here now, you Benjamites, that's interesting, because that means Saul didn't trust anyone outside his tribe. He had rewarded only his tribal countrymen with high positions in his kingdom. No one from any of the other tribes. He calls them all Benjamites. Here now, you Benjamites. Will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards and make all of you captains of thousands and captains of hundreds? That all of you have conspired against me? The word here, conspired, means to rise up in a planned, coordinated rebellion. And on what basis does he make this accusation? First, he says, none of you informed me about Jonathan's covenant with David. None of you have showed me that my son is in a league with David. The second second piece of evidence is he says, none of you feel sorry for me. (laughs) The word narcissist is thrown around way too much these days, but Saul is the real deal. Narcissism is defined as this, a personality of selfishness involving a sense of entitlement, a lack of empathy, and a need for admiration. (laughs) That's all. (laughs) I mean, he is so needy and he doesn't see anything around him. He doesn't perceive any of the hurts around him. All he has is thoughts for himself. Now, this statement, my second piece of evidence is none of you feel bad for me. That is a manipulative means of communication. 
That's an unacceptable form of communication for a Christian. You know, if David has a fixed heart in this chapter, Saul's is a broken down heart still. Because of his stubborn decision to maintain his way of doing things, to never repent, he is stuck in this state of selfishness. The word repentance means to change your mind, to turn around. And a repentant heart, that's what a fixed heart looks like too. So David cried out, be merciful. And he got to the cave, be merciful unto me, O Lord. Don't destroy me. I have messed up big time. One prophet would say, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. David said, I can't do this on my own. I need you to take me somewhere that's above any place I can get to on my own. You're the only one that can lead me to safety. If your heart is overwhelmed, run to the Lord. Let him lead you to a safe place. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your faithfulness to your promises. We thank you for the promises that you give us in your word, that we can know what your heart is towards us and what you will do for us. And Lord, we thank you for that promise, that you'll never leave us or forsake us. That if you gave your life for us, how shall you not freely give us all things? So we love you, Lord, and we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at 407-523-0800 during our office hours, Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.